We're continuing on in this series, Supernatural, where we're discussing the miracles of Jesus. And I love this series. I love them because like as adults, like we forget a lot of times like that God does miracles every day. And like there's miracle after miracle after miracle all throughout scripture that we can go to. And we're just looking at the 44 miracles of Jesus, but I love them because they're inspiring. They give promise. And so like, as we dig through these, I hope you're finding that as well. And like, they're perfect for kids because they're great stories. They show like who Jesus is and how amazing and how powerful and miraculous he really is and how life-changing he is and how he's changed the world really. And so like, I love this series and it's kind of funny, right? Like there's a lot of things that we all love. I mean, we've all got those things. Like maybe you have a favorite pair of shoes that you love or like a favorite shirt. And like most people might be like, yeah, that's okay. But it's like your favorite shirt or it's your favorite pair of shoes. Like some of the things make complete sense. And you're like, I could see why you love that. And other things you're like, that person is weird. Here's the thing. Like I have one of those things. Like I had a cactus garden. I loved this cactus garden. It was really crazy. Like I started this new job. I went to work at this new organization. I walked into my office and the very first thing that I saw on my desk was a cactus garden. And like, it was so cool. It was like this clear glass, right? Kind of like, you know, it looked like a spaceship and it was filled with sand. And then it had like these two tower like cactuses that were maybe like this big and this big, you know, two of them. And like, they'd grow and grow and grow, you know, like, and they were, you know, just, they were gonna get huge. Like, that's just what they did. And then we had this one that was like, kind of like this pin cushion, right? It looked kind of like a pumpkin, you know, and it too kind of started small, but over time it kind of grew. And then there were these two that were like stuck together really closely. And like, they just were super tight. They look like, I mean, like the cactus, if a cacti, if cacti, if a cactus, say cacti and cactus five times fast, if a cactus had a badonkadonk, this is what it would look like, like, right? Like this cactus garden was awesome. I loved it. And it sat on the corner of my desk and I like took care of it every day. I'm not gonna lie. Like maybe not every day. I didn't overwater it, right? Cause you gotta be careful. It's a cactus. But like, I would take care of it. It would sit there. It was a great conversation piece. No, when I left, when people left my office and I was there by myself, I did not carry on conversations with the cactus. They did not talk back to me. But like, I loved them so much because they just were so cool. They were part of my office. And so like, I took care of this cactus all the time. And, you know, I'd water it, I'd take care of it. And then about five years into my work there, the one pincushion cactus started to look a little weird it started to kind of shrivel up and then one day it just died. And then the two that were like close together, they began to do the same thing and then they died. And then these two cactuses, right, which were like a foot tall now, like one of them was like a foot tall, the other one was like 10, 10 inches tall. I mean, it was like the Lord of the Cacti, the two towers. I mean, like these two cacti were like starting to shrivel up and fall and then die. It was devastating. I mean, this was like a part of, this was like my children. These were like my children. And they were there with me every day. And I looked at it and I picked it up, this cactus garden that I received my very first day. And I threw it into the trash. And I tell you that story because I think, you know, it, we're, we're talking about something today. We're like, you know, we, we sometimes talk about it. Maybe we sometimes think about it, but we don't like to think about it because we maybe feel a little weird about it. Sometimes it's in our mind. Sometimes it smacks us right in the face, but it's these two concepts. It's the concept of life and death. Life 
in death, life in death, life, right? This amazing experience that brings us joy and satisfaction and significance and reward. You know, it's finite, right? Scripture says we're but a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But it's like, it gives us things like laughter where we just sit and laugh with people because we find something so funny and so joyous or moments where we just get up to the top of a mountaintop and we just yell out because we feel alive and we feel free. Life, this awesome experience. And then this concept of death, death, death. You know, which seems very like final, right? The end, like it's kind of isolating, kind of cold, maybe a little depressing when we talk about it a little bit too much. Life and death. And the miracle today that we're gonna talk about is this awesome miracle, right? And like, spoiler alert, guess what? We're gonna talk about how Jesus has all power, not just all power over anything in this world, but like all power over everything in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And he's got power over everything, life, and he's got power over death. And so today as we dig into this miracle, we're gonna learn about this guy, his name is Jairus. And Jairus is this religious leader of this local synagogue. And the story begins like this. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. He said, my little girl, she's dying. My little girl is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. And Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. I want to stop right here. Because Jairus, he is the leader of this local, like the local synagogue. Like he's a religious leader. And if you know anything about Jesus and you know anything about the religious leaders of the day, they didn't quite get along. I mean, Jesus was this renegade, right? Who came in and said, people over here are telling you this. Your religious leaders are telling you this, but this is what God says. How do I know that? Because I'm God in the form of, the man, in form of a man and I'm telling you, this is what I say. I mean, to those religious leaders, that was pretty blasphemous. At the least, they were pretty skeptical of him. At the worst, they straight up hated him. They had animosity because they saw him as a threat. And so here you have this religious leader, right, of this synagogue who basically runs to Jesus and lays down at his feet, probably pretty skeptical, probably questioning who is this guy. He's probably heard good things about him. He's probably heard bad things about him. But here he is because his daughter's dying. And he's probably tried everything up to this point, right? Because it's his child and he wants her to live. He's desperate. And the concept that I first want you to get out of this story is this. Death brings desperation. Death brings desperation. I mean, we see this all the time, right? Like our worldview, the way that we see the world, if we look at it from this idea of like, you know, life is short and then it's over. Life is short and then it's over. If we look at it from that way, <laughs> that brings a lot of desperation. I mean, it is, it's kind of depressing. Like life is finite. You've only got a certain number of days. Life is short and then it's over. But that's not how we're called to live. And that's not what this story tells us. You see, death, that kind of idea of death, it brings desperation. Our own mortality then begins to control our perspective on life. And we can see this and we experience this in a number of ways because we begin prioritizing all these different things, right? And assigning value to them. And like, that's where we then find our significance. I mean, maybe it's status. Maybe it's money. 
Maybe it's being liked, just liked by people or being around, always needing, you know, to be needed by someone else. We look for these various different things where we find significance, value, and worth. And it's all kind of based on this premise, right, of sin ending in death because life is short and I need to get what I think I need and I've got no time to waste. I mean, unless I want to waste my time on it and then don't tell me that I shouldn't be wasting my time on it because it's my life, right? And we see this play out in our world where people are fighting and clawing and grabbing whatever they can, chasing after the elusive fill in the blank so that they can find significance because it's all going to come to an end one day. (laughs) That's not a significant, fulfilling way to live your life. It doesn't give you life to the fullest. And I mean, we experience the byproducts of this in our lives. I mean, we see this in our lives all the time. You know, maybe we actually experience death, right? Because there are some things that we prioritize that do have value, people, relationships. And like, you maybe have lost somebody who was significant in your life. And like, you know that you're never going to get the time back again. You know that all of your time with them is now but a memory. And that's devastating. It leads you to despair at times. I mean, maybe you're someone who experienced a spiritual death in your life. Like maybe circumstances of the world have literally just sucked life itself out of you. And you spiritually, you're just kind of like, man, I feel dead. I feel like I don't have direction. I feel like I don't have a purpose. I'm not quite sure where I'm going. What do I do now? Maybe you've experienced that or are experiencing that in your life right now. Maybe it's an emotional death. Like maybe just with everything that's going on around you, both in the greater society and in your personal life, you're just spent. You don't have the energy. You don't have the time. You feel like you've got nothing else to give. You're at the precipice and you're like, I can't handle it anymore. I'm spent. Maybe you're experiencing an emotional death or you have experienced an emotional death. The crazy part is you could have experienced all three or could be experiencing all three at the same time. But what I want you to do like in this moment is like think about your perspective on this. Think about your perspective on these things, on death. And I want you to hear me right now, and it's this. If you haven't experienced that in your life, you probably will at some point. And if you are experiencing that right now, you are not alone. You see, because I might not understand every little detail of what you're experiencing, and those around you might not either. But the one thing that we do kind of have an idea of of is what it feels like, what you're going through because all of us have or will experience that in one way, shape, or form in our life. You see, I experienced that in my life. I mean, like, remember I had this cactus, right? I got it the first day I started working. It sat on the corner of my desk and it died. And I should have seen it as a sign from God. But like, it was, you know, this cactus died. And then like several months later, like the organization where I worked started to basically experience some financial difficulties. And like, they had to let a bunch of people go. And a part of my department, a good chunk of it, most of the management basically got outsourced and we lost our positions. It was devastating. I loved what I did. I loved the place where I, where I worked. I still do. But like, it literally just killed me. It was like somebody ripped a part of me out and it died. Because for years I had intertwined myself in the daily workings. I'd given my passion. I'd given my all to it. And it was devastating. I felt diminished. I felt destroyed. I thought it was my demise. 
And the thing, the cool thing was when it happened, there was just this huge outpouring of support. I mean, people were like, we love you. You're awesome. This is great. You know, like you've got a new opportunity that God has for you. It's not great, but like you've got this new opportunity. We know that God's got you taken care of because you're an awesome person, Rem. And like, it was this great moment and like all that noise happened. And then it kind of began to just fade away. And I kind of just like felt like I became a part of the scenery, out of sight and out of mind. And like Jairus, his story is very similar, right? Because like he comes to Jesus, he's flat on his face, right? He's desperate. He's like, my daughter is dying. I need you to heal her. And like in the middle of it all, like Jesus gets with this crowd and they're all moving, right? Because they're all going to Jairus' house because everybody wants to see the show. We're all here for the Jesus show, right? They're like, well, he's going to do another miracle. This is awesome. And in the middle of that, this woman reaches out in the crowd and grabs his cloak. This woman who'd been bleeding, hemorrhaging for years, 12 years. And like she was hemorrhaging and he basically healed her in that moment. Her faith healed her because he touched, Pastor Tim talked about her last week. That story happens right smack dab in the middle of Jairus' story. And so here's Jairus, right? Because like miracles don't just happen in like three seconds but there's a big commotion and everybody's talking and more and more he's getting pushed back further and further out of sight and out of mind. And the passage goes on and it says, while Jesus was speaking to her, the woman he had just healed, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And they told him, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus being who he is, heard that in the midst of all the noise, everything, all the commotion going on in the world. He overheard that and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. I mean, if you're experiencing you know, a physical death in your life because you've lost somebody right now, or you're experiencing an emotional death or a spiritual death that you're going through, or maybe you're just living with this reality of life and death, I need you to hear these words today. Do not be afraid. Have faith. Do not be afraid. Have faith. Because with everything going on in the world, you have not and will not be forgotten. Jesus, in the midst of everything else that's going on, all the commotion is sitting here saying to you, right? It's not just a slogan, but it's actually who he is. You are loved. You are loved. So much so that I know who you are. I know your name. In the midst of everything else that's going on, do not be afraid. Don't live in desperation. Have faith. The thing is, I know that can be tough. You know, you can. You feel like there's no hope, like you're diminished, you're demoralized. I know, I was there. I mean, after I lost that position, it was devastating to me. I went for over a year without a job, a full-time job. But here's what I realized. After all the crowd left, right? Everybody was saying, hey, we're with you. We got you. We love you. When I felt like I was kind of pushed to the sidelines, God placed people in my life to remind me to have faith. There's this person who literally has messaged me every day since that happened. This happened years ago. Like literally he faithfully messages me every seven to 10 days and says, Remington, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for your ministry. He lives four states away. We rarely talk to each other. Like clockwork. 
He's reaching out. There's a person who literally eats lunch with me every week and has eaten lunch with me pretty much every week since who just encourages me, tells me that I'm loved, shows me that I'm loved, cares for me, reminds me that God has a purpose for me. Because it can be really easy to doubt that, right? When you've experienced death in your life. And then there's another person, right? Who literally after this happened, he was like, why don't you come on a trip with me? We're going down to watch spring training. And he took the time to just sit and walk and talk with me about everything that was going on in my life reminding me that I had value and worth and that God had a plan for me. You see, the thing is, God is throwing people in your life and opportunities in your life that say, do not be afraid, just have faith. And I need you to hear that today. He's saying, I've got you. And we see this, right? We see this play out in Jairus' story. Jairus' story goes on like this. It says, then Jesus stopped the crowd He stopped everybody and he said he wouldn't let anybody else go with him except Peter, James, and John, his closest disciples. He's saying, Jairus, I see you, everybody else, out. And when they came to the home of this synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. I mean, this is what they did. Someone died, they made a commotion, singing, wailing, music, everything, until the person was buried because they wanted everybody to know that somebody had gone on. And he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? He's saying, I'm God, I'm here. Why are you weeping? He said, this child isn't dead, she's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. They scoffed, they kind of mocked. They said, whatever, she's dead. But he made them all leave. And he took the little girl's father and mother in with the three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. You see, what we see from this story is that Jesus has the power over death itself. Because our lives are not actually finite, they're eternal. We have a God that has given us a mind, a body, a spirit, a soul that has eternal significance that can be used for good to not only just point people, you know, but like do amazing things that draw people closer to him. And in turn, like that has eternal significance in this world and the next. And he's calling us in this story not to view life as finite with just a the end at the end of it all hoarding and accumulating everything, every status, every object, everything that we think makes us worth something. But he's calling us to live a life, a life that he says is a life to the fullest. One that realizes that no matter what death you've experienced in your life, that God is a God who breathes new life into things and that it is not over, but your life has eternal significance. Because let me tell you this, faith in Jesus brings hope. Faith in Jesus brings hope. You see, she was straight up dead. She was 12 years old, laying dead in her house. And Jesus walked in and he said, girl, get up. And she was alive. You see, what you realize is is in this moment, in the same way he reached out and grabbed her hand, like in your life, whether it's a physical death, whether it's an emotional death, whether it's a spiritual death, when you have faith in Jesus, you have hope because he reaches out, 
he grabs your hand and he says, get up. Do not be afraid. Do not live in despair. Have faith because I bring hope. You see, the same power that raised Jairus' little girl from the dead is the same power that when Jesus hung on a cross for your sins and mine, was dead and buried in a ground, raised Jesus from the dead. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, I tell you this, that same power that raised her and Jesus from the dead lives in you. And no matter what death you've experienced in your life today, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether you don't know because there's just so much noise, you're confused. I'm telling you this, there is a God that knows your name who will take what is dead and bring it back to life. See, it's not this life where the end is it where you tally up everything that you've accumulated and that's how people judge you. But it's about a life that's lived to the fullest with significance and value and worth. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything he's done. You see, my question for you today is this, where do you need new life? Where do you need new life? Where have you been living in despair? Like what death have you experienced? Like what has literally just felt like it's been ripped out of you and it's just killed a part of you? Like where are you living in despair? Where do you have fear, worry, doubt because of things that have happened to you that's controlled how you operate, how you've managed, how you've prevented other bad things from happening to you. Where are you dead? Because here's the thing. Faith in Jesus brings hope. Father, I just ask that in this moment, no matter where somebody is right now, no matter where they are, God, I ask that you would just come to them and that you would remind them that they are not a part of the scenery, that they have not been pushed into the background, God, that they might be feeling and experiencing death in their life, like the byproducts of sin, the byproducts of death in their life, where they just maybe feel like they've lost somebody that they've cared about or that they loved, or they've lost something that they thought added value to their life, and they're just spiritually destroyed because of it, or they've lost something, or they're just tired and they're emotionally destroyed. God, I ask that in the midst of this all, that you would come to them and that you would show them that they are not forgotten, they are not lost, but you see them and you know their name. And you not only know their name, but you know their pain. And that through your power, the miraculous power that you have, God, that you can reach down into the life and take what is dead and make it alive. Because God, you are a God who brings dead things to life. Father, I ask that in this moment, wherever they are, that they would be willing to give what is dead up to you, that you would be able to come in and work through that, God, and that you would bring new life into their life. God, give them people who remind them to have faith, 
to know that they are not alone, but that God is not only with them, but they have others around them, God. And may we be a people, a movement of your people who surround each and every person with love, not so that it's just a slogan, but so that people know that they are not dead, but they can have life and life to the fullest. Father, I ask that in this moment, you bring dead things to life. In your name we pray, amen.